1: Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Leverage Masters. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the co-founder of TheLeverages.com and Divizio.com, the all-new affiliate network for people doing good in the world. We have my co-host and all-around partner in crime, Jack Humphrey, joining us today. Hello, Jack.
0: Hello. I'm glad you're back with us after a fun week of (laughs) <laughs> being super mega
1: sick welcome back well super super mega sick and literally back from the dead four times
0: yes literally so we're very very
1: literally. lucky and happy to have you back i am very ba- glad to be back as well jack it's amazing <laughs> how much that takes out of a person holy cow You know, I didn't realize how much effort. How much death takes out of you? (laughs) Yeah, it really does. I mean, just simple things. Empty the dishwasher. Oh, my God, I'm out of breath. It's goofy.
0: (laughs) I think that you need to tell the story you told me about what the nurses reported to you when you gained consciousness throughout the week, because I think that's just funny. The mind of a
1: leveragist. Well, the entire thing was an example of Levergina, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, let's let's start right from the very start. I get deathly ill at 5.15 in the morning. I make it as far as the bathroom, sit down on the toilet, and now I am so sick I cannot get up. Okay, I'm thinking like Gina does. And first I'm going to call my helper in the next building, see if she can help me. Nope, can't find the phone number because I can't see straight. Okay, so we better call the ambulance then. So I go to call the ambulance. I can't dial 911. That's how sick I was. So what would a leverage do in that situation, Jack? (laughs) Actually... I have
0: no idea what I would do, what I would think. I remember that you said that you knew someone was about to call you as they do every morning.
1: Every morning at 7 a.m. my mother calls me to wake me up because I have a tendency to sleep through alarm clocks, but I don't sleep through my phone. So I knew mom was going to be calling by 7 o'clock. I just had to maintain consciousness until she did. And that's exactly how I got the ambulance called, because by the time mom called, there was no way I could do anything at that point. So mom, from Chicago, called the EMTs in Fort Myers. They come, they take me to the hospital. Now, I am completely and totally out of consciousness by the time I get there. I can't give them any kind of history at all. Lucky for me, word had gotten to my aunt and uncle, who also live in Naples, and my aunt and uncle showed up in the ER within a few minutes of my arrival, I think. I was completely out of it. And my aunt went through my phone to find the doctor and called the doctor to get the whole background for them. Again, another example of leverage, isn't it? Yeah. So throughout the week, I really, I don't remember a whole lot before Thursday. I remember little itty-bitty pieces of it. So the nurses were constantly having to apprise me of what was going on because I had no clue. Which part of the story are you referring to that you wanted me to tell Jack? Because it's a long story.
0: What the nurses uh, reported to you as to your leverage mind going even in in uh, an unconscious state.
1: Well, silly me, I wake up and I start talking about. Stuff that the nurses are like, huh? I'm literally thinking about work and talking about work while totally out of it with the nurses. (laughs) And the nurses keep asking me questions about this and that and this person and that person. It was really funny. By the time I gained consciousness totally on Friday, the nurses are like, what is it that you do for a living?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Was it weird to wake up and have them parroting names back to you that you knew they shouldn't know?
1: It really was. Very weird. (laughs) And as they did, it was actually really good because I really didn't remember what I had been dreaming about while totally out of it until they started mentioning names and things and whatnot. And it turns out that my unconscious brain Was sitting here working on strategies for me and ideas for my business that there was no way in hell I would have come up with without being in an unconscious state. Now that's
0: just cool. (laughs) Leverage in your sleep. There's another. Leverage
1: in my sleep.
0: um, (laughs) There's another guide that has to come out now.
1: Well, Although I wouldn't recommend you doing that, it
0: the way you did it last week.
1: Yeah, neither do I. Neither do I. But that's something that I don't think enough of us recognize, our unconscious minds as a source of leverage. So even when I'm not sick and dying, I'm using that unconscious mind to come up with all the leverage strategies that I come up with. And usually what that looks like is I'm playing a mindless strategy game like solitaire, for example, and just the mere action of playing solitaire, when I've done it for a half hour, 45 minutes, all I have to do is set my intention before I do it. My intention is solve this problem. I then go and do a mindless activity like playing solitaire, it's an unconscious competence for me. And within a very short period of time, the answer came to me. I didn't have to go and force it and figure it out. Does that ever happened to you too, Jack?
0: Yeah. If, you, if I remember to, you know, task my mind for those things. And right. the way I do it is in, med- in meditation, I'll, I'll just ask questions. You know, what's this? What's the next thing? You know, what do we need to do to figure out this? And the nice thing is it gives your monkey mind something to actually tear into that you want it to be working on. And if it's doing stuff like that, it can't worry. (laughs) It can't run wild and look for problems and, you know, keep you up at night and, you know, with worry and, and, uh, and everything else. If you task your mind, at least I've found if I task it with things, that I want it to do, what it's really actually good at, it'll work to find solutions subconsciously until it does, until you redirect it to do something else. So it's really like, you know, I've learned a lot about taking control over something I didn't know. I don't think most people ever do that you're supposed to do that. (laughs) Otherwise your mind will find something to do. Like your body was out of commission and your mind got bored because it didn't really have a lot to do. I mean, you weren't trying to move around. You weren't, it really didn't, you know, so what does it do? It starts thinking about business and work and leverage.
1: (laughs) Well, I spent the last couple of days, Jack, thinking about why is it that that did happen in the first place? Because it just seems so out of the ordinary. And I figured out why it did happen. The key is in what I said a few minutes before you started talking. The key is in setting the intention. When I first realized I was in big trouble in the bathroom Saturday morning, I knew that I had to find a way to stay conscious until mom called. So I actually set an intention to actually sit there thinking about some of the things that were going on in work to help me stay conscious for 7 o'clock to come and just because i stopped it and mom called didn't mean that my monkey brain stopped working. I was still fairly out of it at that point. I was out of it for almost a full week. So what's my brain do? My brain just kept working on it.
0: <laughs> it's crazy.
1: But it, it i mean that has a lot to do with,
0: you know, how we work on a regular basis. And what we think about sure and what we, whether we let our brains go on autopilot or mind rather, because there's a difference between the brain and the mind and, yeah. and what, uh, you know, and I just think I used to just, and I still have to, I don't think it's something that you just set and forget. You always have to be mindful. You have to remind yourself to, uh, you know, it's like having a toddler, a really intelligent toddler, <laughs> And if you don't give it a rattle or something to play with, it's going to find something to play with anyway. And, uh, and how can that affect your business? Well, if you're not getting a lot of sleep because you're worried, because your mind just pops something into your head, just random, oh, here's something to worry about, then that's affecting your business. You're not waking up in a very good <laughs> mood in that situation. There's probably a thousand other examples of why we want to be able to take control of that stuff. If we don't, it will. And that's when sometimes problems happen.
1: And so I set that intention. I'm out there looking for some solutions. And the next thing I did was I went into a visualization. You heard me talk about dozens of times, Jack, my being a tree exercise. I did that because I typically use my, quote, unquote, being a tree exercise, which I'll explain in a minute. I use that as a source of healing. Whether it's I've got a headache, I'm tired and I need some sleep, I've got an abscess tooth, I've got a urinary tract infection, doesn't matter what the issue is physically, my being a tree exercise helps to heal it, and it heals it without medication, without doctor intervention. How many times have you seen me heal myself, Jack?
0: Countless. It's a constant. It's not a time thing. It's just a constant thing, you know. It's it is. it's just keeping yourself well as much as it is healing yourself from some affliction. Because I I can't Absolutely. imagine how many things you haven't gotten and how many times you haven't gotten sick. You know, we never think about that. <laughs> we only really think about I health do. and well when we get sick. But I can't imagine how many times you've. You've skirted uh, health issues just because of your tree exercise and your mindfulness.
1: Well, and I really believe that last week I would have been dead I had I not started my being a tree exercise with the intention of healing myself. I truly believe that.
0: Yeah. No
1: doubt. Well,
0: science. Is- Science is backing you up nowadays on this. I mean, it's funny that we have in all of our hospitals some really radical science. I mean, some of it came from our, you know, space exploration and and just crazy amounts of technology. And yet how little we understand about, wait, before you use that machine or before you do this or before you do that, have you done anything for the person who's, you know, able to do an awful lot for themselves? We're designed to heal. I mean, <laughs> you know, and unless it's a trauma case, you know, and and somebody's going to bleed out, there's a lot of times when I think that, you know, uh, people don't know that 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 you can just set your body get it get squared away and go into healing mode and your body will prioritize what it needs to do. I mean, there's there's actual studies on this and people are really getting into it and it's affecting it's starting to try to bleed into Western medicine, um, but whether it does or not, you know, my advice is if anybody is completely on a Western medicine track and you haven't explored any of this stuff, it can't hurt. It's not a religion. It's not, you know, going to completely destroy your belief system. Although some of the things that you believe now um, might be altered <laughs> a bit and I agree or completely. With that. Yeah, or you can completely drop it. But you know, it's it's crazy how much that people fight for health care in this country, in our country, and in in all west. I mean, all all countries have a problem <laughs> uh, to some degree with their health care. But we we, you know, and I wonder what people are fighting for. What if you do get insurance? You're going to go to a doctor that's going to want to very much. She's been trained to give you. Uh, a prescription pad full of stuff, chemicals, um, things to put in your body that have crazy side effects, just like the commercials on TV. They say one minute worth of, you know, here's what it'll, well, not even a minute, maybe 15 seconds. And they have so much that the FDA requires them to say about side effects that the commercial lasts for two minutes. And most of it is just naming off the side effects. And you can't even remember at the end of that what the thing was for in the first place by the time you get done with the commercial. And I'm like, that's, that's you know, that's the healthcare we're fighting for. I don't understand that. I really don't. I think wellness and, and avoiding having to go into that system at all costs is the way to go, you know. And, therefore, if it's hard for people to get insurance, well, you know, you're not going to die because you don't have insurance. You could just start – you know, being well as much as possible. And then when you need that and you need whatever is available, um, it should be there of course. And that is a problem. But, you know, I don't think that a lot of people know that a, a lot of their health is up to them. You know, we, we, we just dump it off to these other people, doctors and nurses and everybody else and, uh, trust implicitly in what they have to say and do. Now you are a good example of somebody who doesn't do that. Um, and uh, you know you you use leverage everywhere. You're you're, you're trying to figure out uh, what your best care is, and you know that you are a full 100% participant in the decisions. And you could have, and they wanted to run you out of that hospital with all kinds of marching orders to go see this specialist and that specialist and get on this drug and do this program. And what was your
1: reaction to all of that? Well. I am so blessed, Jack, in that my primary health care provider is an integrative practitioner. And even though he did not have privileges at the hospital that I was at, he was in full communication with the hospital several times a day, every day that I was there. And he was insisting that they take a more integrative approach, and that they not do exactly what you just described. So they were not allowed to provide me with all of these marching orders for all of these things that I was supposed to go and do. It's actually you would not have allowed that to happen, which is awesome. If you ask me, that's the way healthcare should work in my world. There really is a brain-body connection, and if you can understand that brain-body connection, you really can use your mind and your brain to heal your body better than any physician or any medication ever could. It's really a powerful tool. And another example well, of leverage. Better than that,
0: you, can, you don't have to just use it to heal. You can use it to prevent, which is the number absolutely. one thing. You know, I was yeah, in the sure. environmental movement back when, back when I was learning how to be, you know, environmentally conscious and everything. So it was pretty level 101 remedial stuff, like reduce, reuse, recycle, you know, trash issues, stuff. That's how it all starts. And my biggest thing then was, like, why are we on the third R? We're on recycle. We've completely forgotten about the reduce part. And I all I saw was a bunch of people wasting because of the third R, which is recycle, as long as I'm recycling, I can produce and waste and, you know, all kinds of stuff because it's being recycled, right? <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. They put reduce first and reduce second. And, and the only thing that we seem to get down, and this is true to this day. It's not true. And this has been uh, since 1991 since I've been doing that stuff, uh, you know. And, and it's, I think that we have the same approach to health care, and I think that it's also an allegory for business. I think a lot of times yeah. people will uh, listen to experts in quotes because, you know, that's not like a doctor who has a degree and did 12 years and all that kind of stuff. Any, you know, uh, experts, anybody can call themselves that. But putting your business in the hands of others and too much, forgetting that you are the captain of your ship, that you are the one who controls where everything goes, and you have to make decisions and everything's going to sound good from an minute. I'll be
1: right back, Jack.
0: Okay So No I'm... What? You <laughs> put us on hold music. This is good I have backup music <laughs> We'll be right back After the message it's just there are no messages
1: I'm so sorry, Jack. The hospital was calling to check up on me. (laughs) That's
0: all right. We were listening to hold music.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm so sorry.
0: I don't know how that happened.
1: (laughs) Neither (laughs) do I. I That's pretty funny.
0: I was saying that I think a lot, don't you agree that we see a lot of clients that don't know that they're supposed to be taking the lead in their their business, the way that we talk about, you know, healing ourselves and preventing and doing, you know, wellness programs and stuff for our bodies. But there's also that with your with your business.
1: And a lot of people... are a really good example of that. Yeah, go for a it. A really good example of that. So there are two people that I have done what I call VIP power days with in the last eight months that are getting way better results than anybody else I have ever done a power day with. Want to know what the difference is in their business, in their power what? day versus the other checks? Exactly what you're talking about. They didn't rely on Gina to do the driving. They took the lead in both preparing for their power days so that they could give me the ammunition I needed to guide them better, and then once I did guide them better, they actually applied what it was I taught them to do. And holy crap, what a difference in their results. You know one of them, his name is Ron Harvey. How hugely different is Ron as opposed to almost anyone else we've worked with the last three years?
0: Yeah, he came in knowing uh, that he wasn't throwing himself at our mercy Um, that he wasn't giving up his uh, being the the boss and the CEO and the president and everything else of his own company, and he never had that attitude. So it never affected him um, negatively like it does with people who you might think, you know, from our perspective as coaches, consultants, we think that everybody is doing that, Um, but I've been – more careful over the years to figure out if somebody's just putting me on a little bit and really putting themselves on, and they're not as yeah. um, they're not captaining their ship quite as much as they sound like they are, and that'll become clear on the next meeting when not everything is done because everything must be done. Whatever was discussed the first time is back in your court, and when we get back together, all of this will be done. And then it's not, and then it's like kind of halfway done and you know and it's like oh okay so I don't know what you think is going to happen here <laughs> but we're getting behind with your goals we need to step it up so it is and interesting and
1: it's not just that it's done he's got whatever it is we asked of him done and he's got the next part started at least the outline of it so that we can then guide the next step. It's not enough to just go ahead and figure out, okay, let's apply this one thing. you got to get ready for the next piece, too. And that's exactly what happens in the being a tree exercise, believe it or not. It's going to sound weird, but it is. We should talk about what that exercise is for a minute, Jack. Absolutely. There is a book called Full Body Presence that you will find at joindu.com forward slash full body, F-U-L-L-B-O-D-Y, joindu.com forward slash full body. The book is written by Suzanne Durana Spurlock. Suzanne is really the person that I learned the brain-body connection from. I was sent to the book by my own doctor, Dr. Joel Ying. So really interesting that without even talking to Dr. Ying, I then go and use what I learned from the book to actually ensure that when I got to the hospital as a trauma patient, I was actually going to get some effect from what they did. Had I not started the exercise from the book, I don't know that what they did for me at the hospital would have been very effective. I really was a trauma patient. No, I wasn't bleeding out, but other than the fact that I wasn't bleeding at that moment, everything else about me was a trauma patient. So in the exercise, you connect to the energy from the earth. And you're using a combination of your own energy and the earth's energy to tap in at a cellular level and ensure that you have everything you need to be 100% well. So what I do is I close my eyes and I imagine that I'm growing roots out of the bottom of my feet that go deep down into the center of the earth where all that hot molten lava is. And if I'm a tree, what the tree's roots do? It sucks up the stuff that it's tapped into. Well, in this case, you're tapping into all that hot molten lava and its energies and sucking it up through your roots, into your feet, up your legs, up your torso, Thumb comes down your shoulders, down your arms, squirts out your fingertips to recirculate. The balance goes up your neck, into your head, out the top like a fountain, and again, recirculates. You've got to really feel the flow of energy throughout your body at a cellular level. So the first couple times you're pulling that energy through, It's enough to just get the flow of energy. That's all you're looking for is the feeling of flow. Once you've got it locked in, next you're actually going to use that energy. So in step two, imagine that the energies flowing through you are now sticky. They're so sticky that they they allow all the toxins, the waste, the ickiness in your body's cells to attach to the energy so that as it flows through and out, all the toxins and the waste and inflamed cells and all that other crap sticks to the energy leaving your body and it all gets removed. So you're going to need to feel that flow for several times through in order to remove all the crap that's in you. Once you're sure you've gotten it all removed, the next thing you do is reverse the polarity of the energy. Now, instead of the energy passing through you being sticky, your cells become sticky. At this point, as your cells are sticky, it's pulling that energy in at a cellular level so that it's replacing all those holes that were left with that highly, highly energized molten lava that you're pulling through you. And you want to feel that flow several times, enough so that all of the empty spaces that were left behind are all now filled in with highly energized stuff. Does that make sense, Jack?
0: Yeah, and what you're describing is just classic visualization, which has been well, studied. Is. And, <laughs> I mean, you have a very – and the thing is, the reason that you are so detailed about it is that level of detail is, uh, is a really tweaked out visualization. If you're going to do a visualization, it should have the level of detail that your body can't – your brain can't tell the difference between whether it's actually happening to you or – Yes. You're just thinking about it. And and so, yeah. you know, and that's a, that's not an easy thing to do. That's something you have to practice. But if you guys want to hear, you know, something exactly related to that, if you've ever heard about the monks who uh, would go to meditate in caves at, you know, 10, 12, 13,000 feet up in the mountains in the freezing, freezing cold, and they take off their shirts and they put wet sheets on them. You can find this on the Internet. It's even been... Um, uh, proven on Snopes and other things because people can't believe it, but it's you know it's it's been completely and it was studied at Harvard in 1981 uh, about monks being able to raise their body temperature with nothing other than meditation and being half naked in an ice cave with a wet sheet and there they you can see if you find a video of it you can see steam coming off of that sheet now you would think that guy is going to go hypothermic pretty darn quick. You know, just taking your shirt off and going 13,000 feet up in the air in the ice would do that. And then wrapping a wet sheet around, you would, <laughs> by the end of, like, I don't know how long it takes them, but, you know, let's say a couple of hours, the sheets are dry. They now they only build up enough heat to heat their bodies up. They... and and stay warm and not go hypothermic, they actually dry the sheets. They have extra heat left over to dry a wet sheet at altitude in a cave of
1: ice. Well, here's how effective that is, Jack. When I first realized I was in trouble, I was pretty sure that my body temperature was between 105 and 106. And because it was so high, that's why I'm now out of it and somewhat delirious. So I knew I had to reduce my body temperature quickly. Yes, I did remove most of my clothes. I had half of a T-shirt left on when I was done. But that by itself was not going to reduce my body temperature enough to make my brain function again. So as I was doing this exercise, pulling the energy through me, I imagined that that energy was ice cold, literally 32 degrees. I wanted cold energy, not hot energy, flowing through me so that it could reduce my temperature quickly. When the EMTs got here at 745, Jack, my body temperature was only 92.4 degrees, and they put me into heated blankets. (laughs) You did too good. I did way too good, but that's part of what saved my life. And the doctors have said that since it's part of what saved my life.
0: Do you think that this stuff could translate? I mean, you know, everybody's going to listening is going to recall everything they've ever heard from Tony Robbins and everybody else about visualizing for outside external things. I mean, okay. If you can even come to a a degree of belief of what we've just been talking about when it comes to how your body and mind can work together to affect massive change for the better, to protect yourself, to heal yourself, okay, I mean, that's a lot to swallow for some people. But I'm just going to go ahead and take it further because I'm kind of tired of that conversation. I've already decided years ago that this is true. I've had empirical firsthand evidence of it and then friends like you and, and all the other people that I've talked to about it, all the studies that have gone on and everything, and kind of it bores me a little bit because I'm ready to move on. So I'm ready okay. to talk about things like what happens when we do this kind of visualization to our external surroundings, like, um, um, like our businesses, like, uh, you know, visualization and how it helps us to, uh, you know, leverage the right new business partner or joint venture partner or something else really, really cool for our business. Do you believe that that's possible?
1: I wouldn't have the business that I have if it weren't. You and I would not be working together if it weren't true. But what what did it? What does it? What do you think?
0: How do you describe it just it's like breathing to you, but... But try to describe breathing now for everybody listening. What is, it, what is the effect? How do you do it? Why are you successful at so, it?
1: Number one, you must fully believe it. It's not enough to just say, okay, well, I know Gina can do it. That's not enough. It must be a belief that not only can Gina do it, it is the truth. It is a fact. And anybody is able to do it, not can do it, but is doing it. It works this way. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I've heard you say that before. And in times of doubt, uh, I've heard the little voice in my head uh, say, you know, okay, but I don't, I don't think I do believe it. So you know, and what, what I found what I was doing right at that moment was I was thinking a little bit too much monkey brain. My monkey brain, mm-hmm. your monkey brain is not going to believe anything. It's, it doesn't believe anything right. ever at all, ever, except what it can see, touch, taste, feel, hear, and that's it. So, you know, when you get into discussions like this, monkey brain is always going to fool you into thinking that you don't believe something. Well, what I found out is there's two people in every person. There's the conscious being mm-hmm. that walks around and has a body, and then there is where we came from, our source. The person who actually, or the thing, the entity that actually notices yourself thinking. You know, who's that? Who notices when you, you know, uh, come up with a thought? Who reacts to that? And can you see that person and all those things? So, I mean, you got to get into Buddhism and Zen and, and all that kind of stuff to, um, to understand that. But the point was, I already knew the truth. I did know the truth. I knew it when I heard it. Deep, deep, deep inside, you know truth when you hear it. You know, there's things that just hit you in the gut, so to speak. And, uh, and so what Gina was just saying is, is true, but you have to reference the right part of your being. And if you're referencing the monkey part, you're never going to believe anything anybody ever tells you about you can do it, you can be president, you can do this and that and this and that the monkey brain, if that's who you're listening to and you don't know that you are, you have to really, you know, I had to do a lot of meditation before I figured out the difference between the two things (laughs) and that there even was one in the first place. And so you guys listening, there's part of you that already believes deep down, and I know this to be true because we're all exactly the same on this level. It doesn't matter where you came from, what kind of programming you have, what sex or race or anything that you are, You're a human being first, and this is a human gut level, instinctual, hell yes, I totally get that. But you have to be listening to the right channel. And if you're not, you're going, oh, these guys are a bunch of woo-woos, and, you know, let's get out of here. This isn't helping at all, and let's go pay attention to the physical world. Maybe go buy something and make ourselves feel better. You know, the physical world. so easy to fall back on that stuff. But if you really give it some time and you really think about it, and meditate, and if you're not meditating yet, I highly, highly recommend 20 minutes a day at minimum. Uh, It will change your life. I swear to you, it will change your life. And ask anybody who does it, and they'll say exactly the same thing. Nobody ever does meditation and comes, if they really did it, comes back and says, oh, that was a crock, that was worthless, that didn't do anything for me. Nobody ever says that. So there's got to be something to it, right? And then you start to find out who that person is, who that being, that entity is that's inside you, that drives you, that keeps your heart beating. You know, what's up with that? Your brain can't keep up with all of this stuff, not by itself. And, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. So I totally believe that, you know, visualization, I mean, you can go to any of your gurus, and they all talk about visualization. You can go to the Olympics, and you can see people just before their great big They've been building up for this for four years in the pool, swimming, 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 miles and miles and miles a day, eating 10,000 calories a day because they burn so much, working their butts off for one goal that might only last about a minute and a half, depending on the size of the race. And those guys are hardcore into visualization. Before their matches, when they're getting massages, they have their headphones on, and they are exactly every single stroke from when they jump off the edge, off the block, to when they flip at the turn, to when they – every single stroke they're visualizing. And those guys, like Phelps, will swear up and down to the value of visualization, externally helping them win races, the biggest races of all time in human history, every four years. And, uh, and they spend a considerable amount of time on visualization in every – you can imagine coaches are using that same technique to get kids in in grade and high school to uh, uh, visualize their track meets, visualize their football games, visualize their pitches on the mound. I mean, you know, to not take that and apply it to our businesses is to ignore a giant piece of leverage, in my opinion.
1: Well said. Couldn't have said it myself better. I'd drop and that's mic, really what it takes. It's <laughs> too funny. That's really what it takes, isn't it? Yeah, I think got um, get Go well, I was
0: just going to say I think it's uh it's really weird. I watch myself fall into, you know, patterns and um and and act like I didn't learn stuff like this. Like I'd never heard it before. I get into patterns and and I just start working and get on something and I'll have problems that could easily be fixed uh, with the knowledge that I've gained and then I'm currently ignoring. And I need things to snap me out of it all the time. One of the things that I use is this podcast. And we are always recommending that our business owners uh, start podcasts or, um, you know, get a, a press kit going so that they can be on podcasts on a regular basis um, as one of many tactics to put you in contact with people in your industry, talking about the things that you love, the things that I remember that I know every single week with new guests on this show. It's amazing. I think we talked about it uh, on the last show, and we probably talked about it on the one before that, if I remember correctly, about how valuable it is to have a podcast, to put one on, not just to listen to them or be guests on them. Yeah. You know, when we talked about the leverage of people being on you know, your show. people. You can get people who are way bigger than you on your podcast who can then turn around and digitally put their arm around your shoulder saying, hey, I was just on this podcast in front of their 115,000 Facebook fans or their 50,000 Twitter fans or their own podcast or their blog or the next time they show up on another show. I've seen that happen. where They get on a way bigger podcast than yours and say, I was just on this uh Leverage Masters podcast. It was really cool. We talked about some cool stuff. And they'll say that on the next show in front of a much bigger audience than yours. And, uh, yeah, I just think people have to knock themselves out of patterns all the time because I think one of the things about me, and I think it's human nature, we get in our patterns. It's Tuesday. Here's what I've got to do today. There's a pattern to that. I have to be on the show. We have a bachelor's call. You have all of these things, but it's not just Tuesday, and it's not just about those things that happen every Tuesday. There's an awful lot of stuff that has been accumulating in my experience as a marketer, uh, search engine guy, all that kind of stuff that could come to bear in every single part of today. And you can't forget it. You can't allow yourself to forget it and just be guided by – it's so easy to slip into being guided by the day, guided by your calendar, guided by your, your, your list of goals. And those things are all cool, and they all have their, their place, but it's almost like throwing yourself in the hands of Western medicine and saying, hey, do all this stuff. Had they not gotten your history, Gina, they would have done some things to kill you. They, that, that's what they're always sure worried about, and that's why they always want your history, so they know what drugs you're taking, what problems you've had in the past. Your immune system is a vital factor in how someone's going to treat you in the situation you were in last week. They, at one moment, didn't know anything about your immune issues, you know, before aunt, your aunt and uncle got there. And so, I mean, if that doesn't have ties to how we think about how we run our business, how we take charge of everything, and how you really got to be the captain of the ship. You can't, you can't have one hand on the wheel and, and be looking back behind the ship all the time because you're going to run into an iceberg <laughs> or something. You're going to go aground. The captain of a ship truly is at the helm, very alert, and watching what's coming up next, planning the next move. If you're in a very big ship, you've got to plan way ahead because those things are hard to stop and turn. And And if you're at that level in your business, you know, you've got to be at that level of alertness.
1: And nobody
0: around you and nothing around you, no tools, no people could ever have the right effect or any effect at all sometimes that you can have. And so... It's really important to knock yourself out, all those patterns, as much as possible.
1: And, you know, that's really the important part. You've got to, you've really got to believe that it, it is possible for you, that you are able to do it. You've got to trust that you have the ability and everything you need and simply make it so. You're using the leverage of Earth's energy and flow to be connected and bring about whatever it is you want to bring about. This goes for health and well-being. This goes for income in your business. It goes for the impact you want to make in the world. All of it is all tied together. And it stems from that belief that you are able to do it and just making it so. My husband used yeah. to say that I was a master at wishing things so, whether that was wishing for a parking space, whether that was wishing for my abscess tooth to go away. what didn't really matter. Money coming in didn't really matter what it was. I was a master when it came to wishing, you know, I don't see this as wishing at all. This is simply choosing my reality. I want a parking space in my reality, and therefore, there is a parking space in my reality. I'm just consciously designing it for once instead of allowing my reality to be created for me. Big difference. Oh, I've
0: I got to tell you something really personal. <laughs> but I think it's going to help a lot of people, and and it's not easy for me to talk about. But I will because I think it would really, really, really help. So I don't have the best time in crowds, as you know. I don't like to. Don't. I don't like to do forms of transportation, uh, and, and at the pinnacle of that is flying. Um, not my favorite. Flying itself would be great if if all those other people were on the plane with me. <laughs> You know, I would love to fly if I could fly all by myself. The act of flying is beautiful, wonderful, and I fully trust it. I never think I'm going to crash. I'm just crammed in a little tube, a toothpaste tube with a, 200 other people. That's the problem. And I also don't like to get stuck in traffic. I don't like to be stuck unprepared. I always like to have something to drink, you know, uh, water at my side or whatever, especially if a traffic jam. So I've got all these things that, that I used to freak out about. And since I started meditating, I guess probably this is one of the reasons I'm courageous enough to even talk about this, is because I don't care, because I have my priorities finally straight, and it doesn't even bother me, and I know exactly what's doing it. Uh, I went to a show last week. I have an Irish band, and I'm the drummer in the, in the band, and we had a show in Indianapolis. And uh, as we do every St. Paddy's Day, we have a show. And this one was far away. It was an hour and a half away and I'm like, god, they're going to be we're going to be driving right during rush hour. I mean, we're going to be going right through Indianapolis exactly at rush hour. And I'm thinking about that. In fact, I was thinking about that for a month. A month before <laughs> the show. As soon as we knew we had that show. let me just give everybody thought,
1: context for a minute. Jack For yeah. Jack, one of his deepest passions is being the drummer in this Irish band. He loves this more than Anything else I know he does, and yet I know from years past that he can work himself up into such a tizzy over the fact that he's got to do all this stuff with all these people in order to perform for St. Patty's Day that I know of a couple years that you just didn't do it. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, anybody who's been through stuff like this knows exactly what I say when I say there are missed opportunities that were quite purposeful. They weren't missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, I took them out of my path because of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's been through this stuff and continues to go through is exactly what I'm talking about. And But I have to tell all of you that... It's different, and it's not just that stuff that's different. Oh, by the way, when you said reality conforms, or you said something like that, mm-hmm. guess I didn't get stuck in right in the middle of rush hour in Indianapolis. Well, guess who? Guess who didn't come to even so much as a stop one time? We skated what? right to sixty-five, right on the four sixty-five right to Zionsville without so much as having to go below the speed limit. A couple of times we had to slow down a little bit. but other, I mean, and stuff like that has been happening. That's an example of many, many things that have been happening where it's like, wait, I, sh- I remember a time I would be freaked out in this situation. I find myself putting myself in situations that I didn't prepare for like I used to. Like, oh, well, I've got to have this, I've got to have that, I've got to be ready. You know, I've got to have an alternate route planned. Um, and then I'd be in the middle of it going, crap, I didn't plan anything. And I'd get a little bit nervous, and then I'd go, wait, nothing's happening. And so it was the, we- it's the weirdest thing. I'm not getting in traffic jams anymore. And on top of that, I know that if I do, I- it won't be any big deal. And uh, so that's wow. even on top of that. I'm not really trying to avoid anything as much as I'm realizing that no matter what comes, I'm good. I'll be fine. And that has Translated not just into anxiety stuff, but for, it, for the business. Things that I wouldn't do for the business because I didn't, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, this, this thing is pervasive, man. It's got really no sense to it. It makes no sense that all. Psychologists are completely baffled by it. It makes no sense. And stupid things like just calling certain people and, and uh, or going to conferences or whatever. I mean, all of that can really affect your business, too. Now you don't have to have. Oh my gosh! So many times we didn't.
1: So many you times have, we didn't go to conferences because of your phobias. Yeah. Well, it, it it
0: doesn't have to be a full-blown, diagnosed phobia of any kind. I see now, from a perspective I haven't been able to see from in twenty-some odd years, and when I'm looking around, I'm starting to pick up that people are doing this kind of stuff to themselves and their businesses. They wouldn't be diagnosed as having any kind of a phobia. They wouldn't be diagnosed with social anxiety or anything like that. But I'm sensitive to to the signs. I lived it for so long, and I still have to be mindful of it. I don't feel like it's, you know, just erased. But it is that mindfulness, the meditation and everything else, that has gotten me to this point. I wouldn't give up mindfulness if I thought, oh, well, everything's cool now. I don't have to meditate anymore. I, I don't even think like that. I can't wait to meditate. I can't wait to get in that space. Right. That's all mine. And uh, where I can even imagine myself at my worst thinking that meditation with your eyes closed, thinking about nothing would be claustrophobic. I hate to put that idea in anybody's head who's going through this, but other than to say that's not true, and it's beautiful, and it's a it's a wondrous place. But in some cases, when I was do, starting out, I'm thinking it's almost like putting yourself in a dark closet, claustrophobia. Oh my God, you know, and uh, just the craziest stuff. But I see since I'm sensitive to those kinds of things, I can tell when somebody is doing something like that. And I'm not saying, oh man, this person's a full on phobic this or phobia of that or whatever. But I am seeing very subtle signs of how people self sabotage. Because I was a master at it. I can self-sabotage any day of the week about any kind of issue. And even if it was about winning the lottery, if I had to be on TV and I had to have a whole bunch of people around and cameras, I would start thinking about how to win this lottery without having all that happen. No joke, that is a story in my head. It actually happened several times. I have a contingency plan for if I win the lottery, how to ditch all the cameras and not I mean, how crazy is that? It really is. And I I wonder how much I did that in my business. It wasn't so much in the business, thankfully. But uh, I I wonder then also about how many times people do that, you know, to themselves. How many are doing it to themselves right now? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make that call. Because then if they say yes, then there will be all this work or it will put me on the spot or whatever. And never doubt that your mind is always working on that problem if you tell it, You know, if you give it those instructions, just like we started the call out with today, it will take those instructions and run with them. And if you don't give it instructions, it will just run with whatever pops up. You have to really, I think maybe mindfulness is one of the big lessons for today uh, because it's saved my life. It really has. It's enriched my life in ways I never thought I would ever, you know, experience in this lifetime based on my history and just kind of saying, well, that's who I am. And that's how things are. And I always got to have a contingency plan, stay away from the crowds, you know, <laughs> make, make uh, peace with it because that's the way it's going to be for the rest of my life. And it, it's not. It does not have to be. And you don't have to be crazy like me to have these things affect you or have your, have your subconscious affecting how you make decisions in business and everything else. It can be very subtle. And those little subtle things that you do, those little decisions that you make, that aren't really done with a clear head, a mindfulness, um, are affecting your life and your business for sure. And, you know, that might sound really terrible if I didn't have a perfect solution for it, and it doesn't cost any money. You don't even have to buy shoes for going running or anything. I mean, literally it doesn't cost you anything except a little bit of time. And the time that you save in not making all the mistakes that you're about to make because you meditated for 20 minutes it actually makes time to meditate. You can actually create time to meditate. There's a study that came out, uh, I think it was last year, where they had finally completed a study on people who had meditated 20 minutes a day minimum for five years. And then they calculated their chronological and biological ages. Chronologically, of course, they were five years older. But biologically, by all the biometrics of the way your health should be on average, at 35 or 40 years old or 50 or 60 years old, the average biological age dropped by 12 years. So meditating wow. 20 minutes a day for five years can give you as much as 12 years on the end of your life. Meditation actually is the only thing that mankind knows of that can create time at the end of your life and give you more of it. And so for that alone, whether it helps your business, I mean, because it does, whether it helps you personally and your health and everything else, it does, that alone right there would be a reason to do it in and of itself. Are you meditating, Gina?
1: No, just thinking. (laughs) You're too funny. Um, It's very, very powerful, Jack. Very, very powerful. And to get yourself started with it, it, why do not enough people start with meditation, Jack? They need to. So do you have a good resource for them? We only have 90 seconds left for how can they get started. Um, they can go to Thriverly.com, and I
0: have a bunch of information about it. It's my passion project, um, Thriverly. It's Thrive with R-L-Y at the end, Thriverly.com. And uh, I've got meditation there uh, that I created because I'm also kind of a um, – my degree is actually in uh, TV, recording, produce, producing, and everything. So uh, I, I gave myself an outlet there and we're at, was able to create some meditations and love doing that. And, um, but YouTube, I mean, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of uh, videos that are really not videos as much as they're, you know, pictures with beautiful music. You can look up Tibetan singing bowls, um, all kinds of stuff that just um, mellow you out, something to listen to. And so you don't have to worry about, oh, God, I'm thinking again, or oh, there goes another thought. You can just listen to the bowls and your thoughts go right through the floor. You just don't have them because you're totally, totally relaxed. There's also lots of trainers. Kich Nhat Hanh, there's all kinds of Buddhist trainers that will teach you how to do um, meditation. It's really, really easy. You just have to chill out about whether or not you think there's a lot of requirements because there aren't. It's not hard. Really, there's nothing hard about it. But, you know, some guidance in the beginning would be great. YouTube is your friend. I have playlists out there that are crazy huge with all kinds of different guided, non-guided meditation. Um, binaural, soft veggio isochronic beats, you name it, just all kinds of stuff, and it's out there. So um, if you get on my list at Thriverly, I'll be happy to show you all how to find all of that stuff and how to use it and get going on this.
1: Thank you so much, Jack. Mindset yeah. is one of the most powerful leverage tools that you guys have. It is so powerful, it can save your life. It did mine last week. I strongly encourage you to go to Thriverly four times to www.thriverly.com. Thanks so much, Jack, for this opportunity to share the story. We will be back next week, same time, same place. Have a great week, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>